that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the Thursday Buckeye Talk, keeping it loose. Even if you are listening this to this after Thursday night, Ohio State, Minnesota game, there's enough little stuff in here that I think is still interesting. Sometimes I like listening to podcasts that are sort of like pre-podcasts after the thing happened, because then you could see like, ah, they were wrong and we'll be wrong on here. We have 20 rapid fire questions from our tech subscribers lined up. I barely looked at them. I just grabbed them. I didn't label them. They're in a random order. I don't know what's coming up. A lot of it is football related. Some of it is not. We are going to run through it. We have a hard out. It's going to be less than an hour podcast because we have other things we have to do. We are recording this Tuesday because Wednesday is a big travel day. So this is the Thursday pod. But for the pregame pod, make sure you go back and listen to the pod that we dropped on Wednesday. That's where we really dug in to what's going to happen in the Ohio State-Minnesota game. Nathan, do you know what a Juicy Lucy is? Oh, absolutely. Minnesota, Minneapolis is my favorite Big Ten city. I've been there many times. I have several friends that live up there, which helps. I get to go kind of hang out with them. And they've taken me around to all of the, the various kinds of cuisine. And I've got some stops that I'm, I'm hitting when I'm up there this week, too. You didn't tell our people what a Juicy Lucy is. You just it's kept it. everything. I you know what your it itinerary. Is. <laughs> I thought you, you, I thought you obviously answered the actual question. <laughs> the Juicy Lucy is basically a hamburger with cheese in the middle. Yeah, we got a couple questions like, are you guys going to eat, eat a Juicy Lucy? And I was worried that I was being set up because there are other things that are like things that are named that sound like a Juicy Lucy. And I thought it was like a maybe it was a bit that a bunch of people got together and said, let's see if we can make Doug say Juicy Lucy on Buckeye Talk because he won't know what it means because he's old and silly. But it's an actual thing. And Nathan's going to eat one. Here we go. 20 questions. We're keeping it short. Let's see. From the 419, if Ohio State is the only undefeated team, can they get the one seed in the playoff at the end of the year? I think no. I think it's very difficult. I still think a one-loss SEC team as the SEC champ is is just going to be hard to beat because I think there's a couple good SEC teams this year. If it's a team like Bama or Texas A&M, they will have beaten the other one in the regular season and then probably beaten Georgia or Florida in the SEC championship game. If it's Georgia – They might have a win over Clemson, then a win in the SEC championship game. My playoff prediction is an undefeated Ohio State team that is not the number one seed. Steven, I think it's it's a little rough. Not that they can't be undefeated, but just that I think they might get trumped if they're undefeated because I'm not sure their schedule's good enough. Yeah, I think, obviously, Florida State was undefeated, and they obviously weren't the number one seed in the inaugural playoff. But a lot of that had to deal with the fact that they didn't look the part, even though they, they just kept, like, you know, escaping teams basically. And so you had to put the reigning champion in there. I think the road to them doing it is if they're undefeated and they look good, they have to look really good. It can't be any doubt in people's minds that, oh, you only won that game because you kind of skated, you had to kind of skate it out at the end of the game. They can't, the, the formula that an SEC one loss team could end up being the number one seed over an undefeated Ohio State partially is on Ohio State, whether they look good in all 12 games or not. Nathan, you basically agree? Yeah, I think looking the part is important. And I think let's not forget. I don't think this is going to be quite the same thing as some of even like the Clemson schedules. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, because I think that um, Penn State, Mm -hmm. Indiana, those are two teams that could be like top 15 teams still at the end of this year. Um, Obviously, Oregon, even if Ohio State beats them at home, Oregon could go off. And, and wreak havoc in the Pac-12 for all we know and be a top 10, top 15 team. I think there's still going to be, if they run the table, there's still going to be, I think, enough quality wins on here. I'd be surprised if they were the only undefeated team and weren't the number one seed. I'd be surprised by that. 
because I think because I think also style points do matter a little bit too, and, and they are going to like mm-hmm. what Stephen was saying. If they're taking care of business every week, because that's how Clemson has has been a high seed, even when it mm-hmm. has played a, a week schedule, because mm-hmm. they go out and paste everybody. Question two from the three hundred two: What is your personal philosophy for helping people who beg for money at intersections, Nathan? At intersections, I ignore them always. I don't remember the last time I ever gave somebody money at an intersection, if I've ever done it. Steven, what do you think? Um, I've given food before, um, yeah. and I'm much more inclined to give food than money because then I feel like I'm actually helping you. I don't know what you might do with the money. Yeah, I think the food's a good thing. I, I have to be exactly in the right frame of mind with some money in my pocket because, again, it kind of always goes back to, well, if I'm going to do this, I just, I'll just i go give money to a shelter, right? This is not right. the best way. Um, but I also will say I'm more likely to give money to a person than when I was in college, we had a fundraiser. Uh, we had a dance marathon where you raise money. And one of the big things for raising money, we called it canning, was you had to go out as a group and like stand at intersections and like stop people at red lights. And like as a plan, as a group, go up and be like, give money to my specific charity at an intersection. And that I would never give because it's like, get out of the road. Yeah, I, I I have incredible respect for people who like go fight fires, but don't walk around in traffic with your boot out. I understand. I I, I want to help those organizations, but there's better ways. There's better but ways. I don't like that plan. I don't like that fundraising yeah. plan. I am more apt to be sympathetic to someone who's in a desperate situation and doesn't know what else to do besides try to ask for money for themselves at an intersection. But don't make it your fundraising plan. From the seven hundred four. With Quinn Ewers, could big name, image, and likeness deals derail this kid's potential? I think this is a thing that people have in the back of their mind. I think it is an unfair assumption, an unfair leap to make that it's like, hey, finally guys can profit off their name, image, and likeness, and it's going to be their downfall, right? So I just, I, I don't know that it's even fair to go there, Stephen and Nathan, like, even if you think it, I mean, honestly, even if I thought it, I wouldn't say it because it's not fair to the player. He has a weird start to his career, but, and it's because he decided to come early because of name, image, and likeness, but I don't know that it's going to like derail him or anything. It's just, a little, Stephen, it is a little weird right now, right? I mean, I, that's weird, but I don't, I don't think it's going to be his downfall. I mean, it's 50, 50 either. That's a case by case thing. I don't know if there's, there's no generalization of, oh, you can make money now. Now you don't care anymore. That's it. You are who you are as a human being. And I don't think he's no, no, I don't think this kid now he's making millions of dollars doing this. I don't think he's going to stop working hard and go try to accomplish all his dreams that he wants to do as a football player. No, but it, it's a player. It's what you value. If his value is solely going to be on the money, maybe it does. If his value is on being the best football player that he can be, then no, it's not going to derail him. But there's no it's not fair to assume one or the other with any human being because we're all different. I also I I was the one arguing I was the one arguing that this payday was too much for him to turn down, that he had to come now. It was just a prudent decision for him and his family. I don't see any other decision they really could make, but this isn't the payday. It's the next level that's the payday. And you don't get to do that if you don't take care of your business. So uh, I don't I I don't have that concern. No, that's the bottom line. Anybody, any money anybody's making in college is nothing compared to what they would make if they really hit in the NFL. So why would you allow that to derail you? From the 917, assuming Ohio State wins, what types of things would make you guys buy into Ohio State being special? What stuff would make you feel like, eh, I don't know, even in a win? 
Uh, I do think if the run game pops in a big way, I mean, if we see a little Travion and he really pops, but I think it's mostly defensively. If it feels like, oh, hey, there, number one corner, seven banks. That to me is, is the number one thing. Hey, there, no doubt about it, Cam Brown. You can cover anybody. Hey, there's cover safeties, whether it's Cam Martinez or Marcus Williamson or Lathan Ransom, just locking that down. Nathan, I see you nodding. I, I feel like it's if they if they settle the secondary stuff and you get the impression that the secondary is at all approaching sort of what the Ohio State standard at its best is for the secondary, then all of a sudden it's like, OK, there goes that question. And there aren't many others. Yeah, it, it, and it's tricky because I think this question applies mostly to the Minnesota game, right? And I don't know if the secondary really gets to star in the Minnesota game. I think if you see them, if you start to see some of the things that you saw in 2019 from, like, do you see Josh Proctor be a little bit more like um, Jordan Fuller? Like, do you see, like, some of those? You know what I mean? Like, the back end is just more solid. That it, people making tackles at the back. You don't have, you know, problems back there. Like it's just, I see the Minnesota game as a step. I think the Oregon game is the one that tells us more about this team. Is the secondary given up 40 yard plays? Because I mean, you're going to give up some yards every so often, but is uh, that's just what it comes down to. If they, that was the problem last year. They gave up way too many big plays and 2019. They didn't do that. 2018. They did do that. If they're not giving up 40 yard plays every four or five snaps, then I, I feel more confident. Yeah, for them, they're going to try some quick slants. If none of them pop, you know, they're knocking mm-hmm. balls down. They're making tackles immediately. They're not letting those things hit. I think that would. And I do think, I mean, we spent a decent amount of time on the preview pod talking about the possible upside of this Minnesota passing game. I'm not so sure Tanner Morgan's not a better quarterback than what Oregon's going to put out there. Anthony Brown won that job at Oregon. I don't yep. know about that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not so sure, sure if Minnesota's best receiver can play. I mean, I think Oregon has a couple guys. I don't, I don't know. Minnesota might have a better passing game than Oregon. So I, I'll be curious um, to see what they do. But again, a, a part of it is we're not going to get super, super tested. Like when, like, when are they going to get, I mean, it's the whole thing with the Ohio state secondary. When are they really going to get tested? So we know, I see you rolling yeah. your eyes into the back of your head, which means you're thinking Steven Yeah. rapid fire. We don't get a second opinion. I know. From the seven four zero. This question is for the king of hot takes, the one and only nine and three Doug. You've been hanging out on Quinn Ewers Island for so long. You're probably starting to look like Tom Hanks and Castaway. Now that the Island is a single buoy, are you still holding on to hope that Ken will Quinn will be playing by the Indiana game? Um, He's not, he didn't have a preseason like at all. And I think, as I said before, like I did not ask about Quinn Ewers on the Monday press conference. Cause I wasn't going to ask a quarterback a question about the fourth string quarterback before the opener. I don't even know if he's practicing. I don't know how much he's practicing. I, you know, I didn't think he had to have a whole camp, but it feels like he had almost no camp. And so do I think he can make up ground? Do I think he can pick things up quickly? Do I think that he can show that he's a, a rare talent throwing the ball? Yeah, I think he can do that. But I just think he's probably further behind than I thought he would be because of he got sidelined by a physical issue, got maybe a little bit of a later start that I thought. I think the island is, is shrinking. I, I mean, I would not be making predictions about Quinn Ewers playing by the Indiana game now given that we don't even know if he's taking snaps as the fourth string guy in practice right now rapid fire doug how many years would you have to be on the castaway island to grow a beard like tom hanks 50 probably and not even then i'm so boyish i can't really grow a beard so um 
Yeah, it would be gray as heck, though. I'm boyish and gray. From the, two six, from the 269, Nathan, we'll let you take this mostly. Why isn't Justin Fields starting game one for the Chicago Bears? Uh, a lot of Bears fans are asking that question. Um, Thank you. <laughs> he had an impressive preseason, um, and Andy Dalton didn't. I think that uh, because of the complexities of the NFL, I think that coaches, even at, at that level, tend to um, lean more on veteran guys. Andy Dalton has been a serviceable NFL quarterback. It's not like he was a bad quarterback, but he's clearly on the back end of his career. I think this might be a case of making sure that there isn't something there before you completely turn it over to the new guy. I think I think Bears fans are also realistic. I think they think that, that Justin Fields would have some growing pains too, but I think they've already seen just in the preseason that there's flashes of a playmaker that he is that Andy Dalton just isn't and probably never was. Are you speaking as a journalist or are you speaking as a fan? I think I'm speaking as a, a journalist with a uh, – No, I'll, with, I'll speak as a with, fan. With footing in the, in the Bears fan base. No, speak as a fan. I, I, I mean, I, it's difficult because I don't – all of our fandoms kind of get ground out of us over time. I'm not a rabid Bears sure. fan anymore. But I will say that just as a football fan, I want to get to the Justin Fields era as quick as possible. Just the same as I kind of want to get to the Mac Jones era as quick as possible and the, the um, all, all, those, all those rookie quarterbacks. Yeah, yeah Trey yeah. Lance and, and, and Zach Wilson. Like, I want to get to the – get those guys in the game and find out what's there. Cause in most cases, the guy in front of them just isn't that intriguing. Well, the Mac Jones there is here. Cause they were yeah. lose Cam Newton. So um, it, that's true. And as a fantasy football owner, I do own Justin Fields in one of my leagues. So the sooner he plays, it's, there it's it a league is. where I get to start. It's a league where I get to start two quarterbacks. So that's where I actually have more selfish involvement is getting him on the field. I do think I, I just don't understand that. I think coaches and GMs are like under the wrong impression that, Hey, if we play the veteran guy and he's good and we have a, middling year it might somehow save your job where i think what saves your job is you draft a great talent and you put him in there and he looks good and you're good to go so i i just i can't think of a reason why they're not playing um justin fields right away from the 614 thursday will we see any plays with five wide receivers like the nfl does sometimes imagine chris olave garrett wilson jackson smith and jigba emeka buka and julian fleming at the same time can you see the bug eyes on the defensive coordinator it would be indefensible Use your greatest strength. Steven, what do you think of that? No, not when it's actually five receivers. I think we'll see running backs put out wide sometimes where they'll have the tight end out there as well. We'll see that type of stuff. I don't think we'll see five. I won't be shocked if we see four at some times this year. Maybe it's only 10 snaps the entire 15-game season, but I won't be shocked if Ryan Day throws it out there at times because there's plenty of options there and only one real proven tight end in Jeremy Ruckert. Yeah, but you're taking the proven tight end off the field even to do four unless you're yeah. – because you're still going to have a running back in the game. They, they don't come out with – I don't know if they've ever had a snap with where fun, there's no. with not the running back in the game. Even I mean, it might be split up wide. It might be empty. Mm-hmm. It's just not what they do. They want to keep the flexibility of offensive versatility that gets matchups that you want, and as soon as you put four wide receivers in the game, then they kind of know you're going to throw. So – I like it. I mean, they did it a tiny little bit the year they had Paris Campbell and KJ Hill, and they ran a little bit of a double slot look where they'd have them both in the game. So if you want to unveil a little bit of a double slot where you've got a mech on one side and Jackson on the other, like I'm here for it, but I certainly wouldn't hold your breath. And it's just, 
it's about the matchups and and the personnel versatility. And as long as they keep three receivers, one tight end, and one running back on the field from a personnel standpoint, I feel like they could they think they can do anything in the world out of that. I just would be surprised. I don't think you're going to see it in the first couple of weeks either, too, because no, I think no, no, protection no, no. is an issue with Boyamafe and especially with Kayvon Thibodeau. You test that out in the middle of the season against Rutgers in Maryland. But I just don't even – like, I just don't – I mean, it's great to talk about. People want two running backs in the game. It's just they – like, they've never done it. Like, I just right. – I just like, again, it was a very special circumstance when clearly their two best receivers were two slot guys who could – never be on the field together. And they were like, well, maybe we can try to find a way to get KJ Hill and Paris Campbell on the field together, five snaps a game. And they did it, but like, we've just never seen, never seen it otherwise. This I mean, is a re- Wilson and Olave combined for like 200 yards a game last year, doing pretty conventional offensive things. Let's not yeah, get too fair. crazy with it. From the seven four zero, I keep reading and hearing about how loaded this offense is. And by all accounts, it certainly appears to be that way on paper. Is there any possibility that this year's team is our super team? like LSU two years ago and Bama last year. The defense should be improved at least with the young blood ready to rotate in. It'll, it'll at least be better, maybe even a lot better. Offensively, we, we have one of, if not the best offensive line in college football and arguably the best receivers in the history of Ohio State football. I'm beginning to think that if C.J. Stroud can play the Mac Jones role of last year, this could be a possibility. Am I wrong, Stephen we have done things where we talk about super team opportunities. We kind of talked about it on our 2023 pod in a world where I think a lot of people think this could be a mishmash year, right? Where mm-hmm. ah, I don't know if there is a great team. What if, what if the program that has the best chance to be the breakout super team are these very Ohio state Buckeyes? The problem is there are three big ifs and they're all on defense at different levels. Can Josh Proctor be Jordan Fuller or maybe something even more? Is seven Banks a first rounder? And is Zach Harrison going to be an All-American? If those three things happen, then I'll buy it. Because then, I mean, you've at least, I mean, you've got an edge rusher. You've got a, a guy who can shut down a side of the field. Your back, your back end is, is, is taken care of. And then the offense is what it is. So if those three things happen, I'll buy it. Well, the question in the secondary isn't whether Seven Banks is a first rounder. It's whether any of the other guys who are going to get the majority of cornerback snaps are future NFL players at all. I think that's the question that needs to be answered first and, and worry about where, what Seven Banks is ceiling later. That was the, the big deficiency there. I think it's possible, though. I think, I think two things would have to happen. First, if Trevion Henderson rises like a phoenix out of this backfield and becomes amazing very early in the season, and now you have this extra force that you weren't necessarily – thinking as part of the baseline of this team now all of a sudden is just crushing people then that makes it already a pretty potent offense even more special regardless of what cj stroud does as a first year starter and then i think the defense does have to be better i think we've seen with alabama last year with lsu two years ago that you don't have to have a great defense in order to have one of these sort of super team seasons but you can't be wallowing down in the 120s or whatever in pass defense you've got to be probably like a top 40 top 30-ish national defense, which, again, is not great. It's not phenomenal, but it's It's above average. And I don't know that they were above average last year. Well, and that's when we look at the talent, though, I mean, like that LSU defense, they had 14 guys taken the next year in the draft. Six of them were on the defensive side of the ball. It wasn't just Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow and Clyde Edwards-Alaire. It was also Grant Delpit and Patrick Queen and – um, Jacob Phillips and guys like that. So 
that's the thing where it's like, well, but if Zach Harrison's a first round pick and Haskell Garrett's a first round pick and seven banks is a high draft pick. And it's one of those things. It's like, it's that the play on the field makes them picks, but if they play at that level, I think it's an interesting scenario to posit. I don't know if we've done it this way on this podcast that like, if there is a super team this year, who is the most likely super team? We've thrown it on Georgia a lot. That's part of the reason. I mean, just because of what their talent level base is and what they're bringing back. But I mean, I don't know if Ohio State's that far off if some guys hit. They have a, you know, Georgia has still a lot of young defenders. A lot of people mm-hmm. think the Oklahoma defense has come a long way. I think it might be Oklahoma, actually. You know, I, I, I don't, but, you know, the Oklahoma, Oklahoma has some good skill guys. I don't, think Oklahoma doesn't have Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave kind of dudes on the outside right now. So I I don't know. I I don't think this is a super team, but if you said who has the best chance to be a super team, I'm not so sure it's not Ohio state that if the quarterback hits and three or four guys on defense hit their upside, you can at least see the outline of it. Maybe we'll take a quick break and be back with more rap. Bid fire questions on this Buckeye talk. Doug Nathan Stevens, 614 350 3315. If you'd like to ask us a question and have us answer it, 91 seconds from the 412. This was a juicy Lucy question. We already covered that. Is Doug traveling again this year or will he be back to the Chili's couch life a la Ben Stiller at the end of Dodgeball? That's when Ben Stiller's like uh, hugely fat, right? So I've I, I watched Dodgeball. I'm traveling. I'm traveling. That's the plan. I'll be in Minnesota and I plan to be uh, actually not maybe quite every game, but almost every game. So thanks for asking that. Fill in the blanks. I'd be shocked if blank happened during the game Thursday night, but wouldn't be shocked if blank happened. This is a really hard one to come up with off the top of your head. You know what? Let's just stick to the shocked part. What's the thing that like you think could happen, but you would be shocked about? I'll say this. I'll be shocked if Travion Henderson runs for a hundred yards because I just, it feels like they're not going to give him the chance, but it would be an exciting shock. Whether it's three carries for a hundred yards because he rips two or whether they let him go in garbage time and he racks up 12 carries in the second half or whether it's just like, Oh no, here we go. Actually Trevion Henderson time is starting right away. So I would be shocked if Trevion Henderson has a has a great first game, kind of like J.K. Dobbins did as a freshman. Nathan, what's your shock? Fill in the blank. Oh, I'll be shocked if Jackson Smith and Jigba has six catches. I think there's this 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 thought out there that that um, that because of the attention on Olave and Wilson, that it opens up this massive workload for Jackson Smith and Jigba. I think it's going to still be the the Lions share of the targets and offense are still going to go through Olave and Wilson, even with Wilson moving to the outside. What's your shock, Steven? I'll be shocked if Ohio State's defensive line has five or more sacks. Just because I think we've talked about him at length, and I think there's this hype around it. But if they come out the gate like that, especially against Minnesota, I, where they might not pass the ball that much anyway, they might run it a bunch then it's going to be like, oh, okay. I think that would really perk my ears up because then it's no longer them just talking about it. It's actually happening. Yeah, veteran offensive line in a system where they're probably going to get the ball of the quarterback's hands. This is veering dangerously close to outrageous predictions, which we still, I think, are going to be doing on our YouTube channel. If you guys listen to this podcast and you aren't subscribed to our YouTube channel, go ahead and do that. Just get on YouTube and search for like 
cleveland.com, Buckeye Talk, Ohio State. You'll find it. We put some little videos up there. From the 614, everyone asks Bill and Ari fast food questions all the time, but I don't believe I've heard you three talk about fast food nearly as much. So favorite fast food places and favorite item from those places. I will take two seconds here to say this. I think there are two things at play here. One is, even though... We do five podcasts a week. We do five a week. There are times when I feel like, well, we don't have time to talk about nonsense. We have football to talk about, which is mind-blowing. How can it be? It's like, well, I mean, what? This used to be a nonsense podcast when it was once a week. Now we're putting out like nine hours, eight hours of, of, of podcast content a week. And it's like, well. I mean, hello, guys. Hey, we got to talk a little bit more about Harry Miller. We don't have time to talk about hamburgers. The other other thing at play, two things. One is Nathan is a I ate at a taco stand in someone's garage guy. So sometimes it's not as fun to talk about fast food with Nathan, our food connoisseur. And the other one is Stevens vegan. So, <laughs> so to be fair, it's. I'm still the same guy. I used to talk about fast food on this podcast all the time. I still eat a lot of fast food. You guys sometimes are not that fun to talk fast food with. Nathan's going to go off to some dive bar with his friends in Minnesota on Wednesday and be like, oh, I ate a thing of pork chop inside of a turkey inside of a hamburger. Guess where I'm eating in Minnesota? I'm eating at Wendy's. Am I wrong? Well, I People who've seen our stand-up videos know I'm no stranger to fast food at this point, I think. <laughs> um, I've eaten plenty of fast food in my life. Coming back from Pittsburgh over the weekend, we stopped in, uh, stopped and had lunch at Wendy's. I mean, we're, you know, we do that plenty. Um, the one, so my two, my two places are um, Culver's is the one that we really get excited now when we see that one's coming up on the interstate and it's about time to have a meal. Um, we'll even drive a little bit out of our way sometimes to go to Culver's. We just think the quality of the food there is, is better than you get at the average fast food place. And if I just need a quick sandwich, the place I'm going to, I think like a hundred times out of a hundred at this point is Jersey Mike's. I don't even know why people still go to places like Subway when you could go to Jersey Mike's instead. It's tw- 10 times as good. Steven, are you dabbling in the fast food enterprises at all at this point? I don't, I don't know if I have a favorite cause I more eat fast food out of convenience just because I need something fast food than it is because I want to go there. So, I mean, I'm like, I've obviously got backed off with the vegan a little bit. I do now I'm more pescatarian. I eat chicken and fish now. So obviously I'll eat canes once a week just because we're near it at the Woody. And it's easier than like trying to go make some lunch at home when we're trying to do a million things a week. Um, but if I had my IPIATA a lot, just because like, they have a lot mm. of different options, I don't get the same thing every time either. I get something different every time. But some of them, select ones in Columbus have uh, the plant-based uh, uh, meatballs, which is awesome. Nice. Yeah. Big Piata fan. If you guys, I think there are Love some it. people listening to this who probably have not eaten that Piata. I know it's big in Ohio. I think it might be expanding. I would invest in Piata. I mean, it's just, it's Italian Chipotle. It's so, it's so good. I am quite out on Chipotle at the moment, by the way. I've not eaten Chipotle in a really long time. And I I don't know exactly what it is. I might have overdosed on it, but uh, also a big Culver's fan. And I just can't, Chick-fil-A always feels special. I I don't know what it is, whether it's nugs, whether it's a salad, whether it's a spicy chicken sandwich. I, I, it, it always feels exciting, which is quite a thing for Chick-fil-A to have done that to us, but they still got me hooked. Chick-fil-A sucks because not Chick-fil-A. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Sorry, Chick-fil-A. Chipotle sucks now because when I was in high school, it was 625. And now somehow it's gotten up to $10 for a burrito. 
Yeah. And they're stingy with the food. Yeah. It's uh, there was a time uh, there was a time when there's a lot of Chipotle love in this podcast. Ari did a whole podcast with him about how he thinks Chipotle is overrated. And I defended Chipotle, but I'm a little out on them right now. Maybe they can get me back from the 419. What are your thoughts on competitive preseason snaps against another opponent? Whether it's a scrimmage, a control, a controlled practice setting, whatever it happens at every level of football, except college. Um. I understand how these teams are able to practice good on good and so forth, but many high schools and obviously pro teams are able to do the same and still have competitive preseason snaps. I like it from the four one nine that, that, that I like it is me. I think Ryan day would like it. It's a thing I would like to ask Ryan day about theoretically at some point. I think it's a world that we might get to if we get to an expanded playoff era with these Alliance games and there's fewer sort of opportunities to play Mac level teams in an actual game. I just think it would make a ton of sense all the way around for Ohio state to play a 12 game regular season schedule that maybe doesn't have a Mac team on it every year, but you rotate Mac teams and those players getting a chance to come down to Ohio stadium and play in Ohio stadium in a controlled scrimmage. And if you can do it in the pros, I don't know why you can't do it in college. Ryan day said their last Saturday, of camp, they simulated a preseason game. They had a noon kickoff. They did all the pregame stuff. They did 100 snaps. Why couldn't that be against Akron? Why couldn't that be against Miami of Ohio, Steve? And I, I do think there's a world. Now, the hard thing is, as you expand the playoff, it's more wear and tear on the players. I just, is, is a preseason game or a controlled scrimmage more wear and tear? Or is it actually beneficial in some way? But I would like it, and I think I can see a world where we get to it. I am all for the joint practice, especially if you're going to do it against somebody that you don't play because then you don't have to worry about giving stuff away. I Maybe you just don't make the quarterback live, but everybody else is live but quarterbacks, so that way no one's, you have, no one's in danger of getting their quarterback hurt. But I'm all for that because it, it will make the season better too because then you don't have what we see for the last couple of years here in college football where because they can't tackle so much in fall camp – Games look bad, and there's a lot of explosive plays in week zero and week one because no one's practiced tackling. Nathan, what do you think? You like it? I'm fine with it, but I think it'll happen in a format much like they have in basketball with the closed scrimmage. It would be away from media. Mm -hmm. It would be away from fans. It would be in a vacuum, and there would be some intel that trickles out from it, but mostly it would be about um, just – trying things out and being experimental it's more it's not quite the same thing i don't think because the basketball scrimmage is done i feel like they 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 structure to work on specific things it's not like a full game scrimmage shell drills and stuff it's like done in drills it's not like you just tip the ball up and kind of go yeah yeah so would you like and it would probably be i think non-contact too why though why why would it be non-contact play a scrimmage i want it like a preseason game in the nfl teams already try to limit how much real like full-on tackling they do as it is i think you'd be even less likely to go up and try to do it against another team i don't know i might rather tackle another team than tackle my own guys yeah i i i don't know i i think there's a world where you can control it but have it be like a good hard pretty decent simulation and have it be like the most productive thing you do in the preseason where you rare you really test some stuff out and i think you could get I think you could get something out of it on, on both ends. I don't know. I, I know what you're saying, but they've really scaled back a lot of stuff already in the name of, of health and safety, which is great. But 
I'd add this in. I'd, I'd account for it and say, well, you can do this. Maybe you peel back something else from a practice standpoint, but you can have one thing against an opponent where you can hit, you can tackle, and you can get a real feel for stuff. I, I just think this is, again, this Big Ten season where you are putting Penn State and Wisconsin and Indiana and Iowa on the line right away with huge implications for the season, and nobody's done anything that real. I think it's a tough way to go. Like, I don't – back in the world, if you're – if you're, you know, when you had – when nobody started with this, because now they just do it for TV, because the SEC started playing one conference game and it got a lot of TV attention in week one, and now everybody's like, well, let me play in week one. And it's like, well, remember when you used to play, like, a warm-up game that counted on your schedule but was really like a preseason game? I still think that preseason game is valuable. And I, I, I don't want – I don't want the Big Ten race being decided in some way by a Wisconsin-Penn State game when neither team is really who they are yet. So I don't know. I think that's probably also why a lot of these games are cross-division because you feel like, well, it's a Big Ten game, but it's not like playing Indiana-Penn State mm-hmm. or Iowa-Wisconsin where it's like, holy moly, this literally could be the game that determines this division championship. I just wish they had a little more warm-up. From the 6-1-4, who will be the offensive and defensive MVPs? for the Minnesota game, Nathan, make your pick. Ooh, the Minnesota game. Um, I did a prediction on the site yesterday where I had to pick the overall team MVP and I picked Garrett Wilson, who I think will, uh, his ability to be explosive and create things on his own, I think becomes even more important with CJ Stroud at quarterback. And I think he could, this, his continued development and maturation. So I think he gets that started against Minnesota and defensive MVP. I'm going to say Haskell Garrett. Steven, what you got game one MVPs defensive to Roger Mitchell. I think this is the perfect game for him to kind of, you know, break out. I mean, it's going to be a lot of running. He's the world linebacker. So he's going to be running all over the place, making tackles. So him on um, defense on offense, I'm going to go against uh, Nathan Shock thing and say Jackson Smith the Jigba. I think Minnesota has probably, you know, given itself migraines all offseason preparing for Chris and Garrett, and that just allows Jackson to maybe sneak under the radar a little bit. I'll agree on Taraji Mitchell, and I'll say Chris Olave that they just can't cover him. From the 513, what is the weirdest article you've ever had to write? Have there ever been times when higher-ups have asked you to ask a coach or player a question you weren't quite comfortable asking? What intangibles of a team make up? Oh, no, this is like three different questions. I just wanted to use that first one again from the 513. Weirdest article to write teams when a, when your bo- times when your boss has sort of like asked you, hey, I want you to do this thing. Nathan, how much does that happen to you? Um, you know, it doesn't happen as much with our prof- our part of the profession it definitely happens to people on the news side a lot. Like if you get stuck having to cover like that Sunday shift, it's like they would rotate through the weekend shifts. And there's just like you have to conjure things to go cover at a daily newspaper. So you're always getting sent out to like Easter egg hunts and, and crap like that. And I, I don't know what the, like the weirdest one that was actually on my beat. It wasn't that my boss like necessarily asked me to cover it, but there was a situation where a Purdue basketball player was getting sued for um um for giving someone a uh disease and uh i had God, to nathan we're adults that. here i get 
Honestly, not everybody. There's kids listening I mean, to this honestly, show. You'd have been better off just saying it because you made it weirder by not. He didn't give him COVID. What no. did he? A, a sexually transmitted disease. Yeah, it's okay. It's 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 medical. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, no, 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 no. That was uh, didn't you? You what was one of the things you won an award for, wasn't it? Uh, um, our team. I was one of a couple people working on that. You know, uh, I, actually that, didn't, I didn't yeah. have to do the heavy lifting. <laughs> I didn't have to do the heavy lifting on it because I just had to write the basketball background and try to get a hold of people. But it was the court stuff that makes those what they are. Nathan, did you did you win an award for the STD? Ah, uh, uh, there were uh, there were other people on the team with me. I, I remember give credit where credits due. There were other people involved. <laughs> Is that what you're doing right now? <laughs> yeah. No, I remember when. Uh, when when Nathan was getting hired and we were like looking at his clips and all the awards he won. And I was like, this guy can, this guy can tell an STD story, man. We got to get this guy in here. This is, this is, I don't know if it's part of a team or what. Hasn't come up yet here, but I'm ready. Life, man. I mean, this is, I mean, you know, you're a famous person and you're involved in something that matters and is like a a societal interest. You got to cover this stuff sometimes. Steven, you got a thing. I mean, I wrote about Ryan Day's beard yesterday. I don't know. I mean, that's not it. Yeah, it's not. I don't I don't I haven't been a professional journalist long enough to have written anything weird from a sports perspective other than when we have to go watch the players move into the hotel. I just think I always feel creepy, creepy doing that. The first thing I ever wrote professionally, though, was about people jumping into Lake Erie during the wintertime. Oh, Water yeah. Plunge. Yeah. This is like a big thing. This is I think this makes it very difficult sometimes to be a journalist when you are constantly asked to write things that you question whether you should be writing it about or writing about it or not. And listen, as you said, Nathan, sometimes you're a news reporter. It's like, listen, you got to go do a little thing, a little fun, little community thing. That's great. I, I have a very specific memory of when I was, you know, I was kind of like half a columnist, half a writer at my previous job. And my sports editor like made me write a column about some heartwarming little league thing. And it just felt like a th- the kind of thing that happens a hundred times a year in every youth sports group ever. And it's just this person like sent a note to us and said, you should write about this. And my sports editor was like, yeah, you got to write a column on this. And the feeling of writing something that you don't believe in is nauseating. Yeah. And I am so grateful. I have, I haven't had that happen once in whatever it is now since 2005 with the plain dealer in cleveland.com where i love it when bosses give suggestions and talk things out with you and and have ideas that we all kind of collaborate on i think it's really hard when your boss especially if it's like a column and your boss has an opinion and he forces you to have the same opinion and write it it makes you want to stop being a journalist it it it, yeah I felt sick. And it was like, it was a heartwarming little league story, but it's like, I didn't think it was worth it. I didn't believe what I was writing. I didn't think it was special. I thought it was silly. I thought it was pandering. And if you say to me, you know what, we need to do more community stuff, go out and find some good stories. Okay, let's do that. But don't hand me this on a platter because somebody wrote you an email and you're demanding I do it. And I think about places where journalists have to do that on a much bigger scale than writing about sports, right? And it's just... It's really hard, man, because it's not about your personal bias or anything. It's about just like believing in the newsworthiness of something and the value of something and the community value and being put in a position all the time to do something where you don't believe in it. 
it's a tough way to make a living. And I know there's a lot of journalists who get put in that spot. So I, it's one of the things, one of the many things um, that I appreciate about working uh, at for cleveland.com for almost two decades now. From the 440, I'm sure you guys are getting excited to actually be traveling again. That being said, what is your favorite Big Ten town? Nathan, you expressed your uh, joy for going to Minneapolis. Is it number one for you? Yeah, I, I love Minneapolis. I was just up there a couple of weeks ago for a, a wedding, and uh, it's just a, a fun town. to. It's easy to get around in. Um, it's a, I think it's a really beautiful uh, area. Um, and you have, it just feels like a, a very cosmopolitan city. Like you get a little bit of that sort of Chicago-ish feel as far as like a big city, but you don't ever really feel like overwhelmed there. At least I don't, I, I just enjoy it a lot. And what I acknowledge just from the two, three, nine, basically same kind of question. What game or city do you guys most look forward to going to each year outside of Columbus? Steven, where are you? This is hard because I don't know if I've actually been able to explore just because of circumstances of the last yeah. three years. Of my, I mean, it's either I got the job in the middle of a season and was just trying to book fights and get the games or last year we couldn't go anywhere. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I'm looking forward to Minnesota. I've never been. So I, I'm looking forward to that one because I've never been there. And then obviously Rutgers is cool because it's you know basically you're going to New York City. I think Illinois and Penn State are just nice, big state school campuses where you just get a really comprehensive like man this feels like college so i i do like going to both illinois and penn state for that reason i also like minnesota for the reasons that nathan said and it's funny it's like you know as i'll make i'll still make fun of jim delaney for adding rutgers in maryland just because they're close to new york city and dc but when you go to rutgers in maryland it's fun to go to new york city (laughs) and dc you know, no, no offense, but I mean, there are times when you can wind up in certain Big Ten cities and it's like you couldn't. It's like, which one am I in? I'm not even exactly sure. I think Columbus is probably on this list for some people who cover other Big Ten schools. Nathan, yep. you'd have some perspective on this. Again, Minneapolis is like still a campus feel at the University of Minnesota, but it's a much bigger city than East Lansing or West Lafayette or something like that. Is yeah. Columbus a place that other writers like to come to? You hear a lot of Columbus and a lot of Madison. I think because those are both bigger cities that have a lot going for them in addition to then this huge state school. So you do, you get that kind of campus vibe, but you get all of the benefits of being in a bigger city. So those are the two that I hear across the, when I was covering other places, like that was the two that I heard across the board. From the 937, how much do you think we will know about the team after game one? Steven, do you think we will have a decent handle on this team after Thursday night? I think we'll have a handle on CJ Stroud. Um, I don't know if we'll have a handle much on anything in the back seven just because of how Minnesota plays. And I think we kind of know what the wide receivers are already. And for the most part, and and we'll know what Dewan Jones is to an extent. I think so. CJ Stroud and Dewan Jones will know a lot about everything else. You either already know what it is, or I don't know if this game, this team is going to allow us to figure it out. Nathan, what do you think? I think I'm intrigued to see where Minnesota lines up Boye Mafe and how they attack with him. I think because of what Steven's saying, do you try to pick on Dewan Jones at all in that scenario? And how does he hold up? I think they'll probably move him around a little bit. But I also agree that just with their style of offense, I think the bigger we're not going to get a lot of stuff answered about the secondary that might take another week. And it may even take longer than that, because I think we all suspect that the youth of this secondary may rise 
steadily towards the top of the depth chart over the course of the season. It's the thing that we talked about sort of on our offensive preview is like, what's the, what style of offense are they going to run? Is it going to be Dwayne Haskins or Justin Fields? That's I, I think we will get an answer to that. Oh, okay. This mm-hmm. is how they're going to go about it. That's the number one thing I want to see just the type of routes they're running, the kind of things they're asking CJ Stroud to do. Of course, that'll evolve over the course of the season, but is this a lot of quick hitters? Are they still doing decent amount of play action? Are they trying some deep shots now that Garrett's back outside? Like, I just, I want to see how this passing game fits together and what Ryan Day thinks CJ Stroud does best. Cause as the receivers can do whatever they want them to do, they, mm-hmm. they can, they can run any route. They can attack any style of defense. They can play any style of offense. So that's the number one thing that I think I will have a much better feel for it. And, and I think we express it on the other pod. Like, it's just, I can't, I can't wait to get to this game for specifically that reason. From the 804, with Nebraska losing to lowly Illinois, it looks like the Huskers will be lucky to get even two conference wins this year. Do you see Scott Frost being in trouble? Uh, they've got some NCAA stuff swirling a little bit. It's got a big buyout, but there's also a new AD. Nathan, what do you think of Scotty? I think, yeah, I mean, the there, the new AD thing is another reason why I think he might be on the way out. You know, I, I was the one arguing that, uh, Nebraska was closer to tier seven than tier five when we did that a while back. And I think they're justifying that. It just doesn't seem like a program that is headed in the right direction. And while we don't think they should be the Nebraska of old, we also don't think they should be the you know second or third worst team in the West every single year. Bye-bye, Scotty. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I, it's just a whiff. It was the right hire. It was the obvious hire. It, it just didn't work. I, he's not who you hoped he was. I don't even know if it's fair to say he's not who you thought he was. He's not who you hoped he was as a Nebraska fan. There is not the offensive ingenuity. There is not the great leadership of a former Husker great rallying the fan base. They just whiffed. And so when you get a new AD, I, I don't know how much more evidence you need. I mean, some of the quotes that came out from that first game about Oof. like, oh, we didn't know they were going to do that defensively and it screwed up our game plan. It's like, dude, you had the whole offseason. Are you kidding me? So I don't know where they go next, right? You start flailing around a little bit, but I just think random good smaller school coach X is has just got to be the guy. And so whatever that means. But if they'd be better off with the P.J. Fleck type than they would be with Scott Frost. Scott Frost had the roots. He had the resume at UCF and what he had learned under Chip Kelly at Oregon. And he just he just didn't get it done, like in any way, shape, or form. So I, I think I think Steven said it right. I think it's bye-bye, Scotty. From the, you got one more thing, Nathan? Well, I was just going to say, it seems like a, right now it all seems like a program is in a, in a bit of an identity crisis. And I think, you know, I, I was – I was ready to kind of give them the benefit of the doubt this season that maybe they could climb up. And then I started seeing things in the preseason where Scott Frost is talking about, we're going to make the walk-on program still a staple of this team. And, and, and I'm like, man, this, this just ain't it. Like you guys don't know what you're doing right now. There are the flailing is already going on. I think they're kind of flailing for what they're supposed to be. And they're in kind of panic mode. And I think you saw that on the field in week zero. Also, AJ Martinez is just not in at quarterback and they don't have a better option. Yeah. It feels like they are sort of getting all the bad of tradition and not the good, right? That it's like, hey, cool, you played here. Hey, walk-ons. But it's like there's none of the 
the black shirt stuff. I mean, they haven't been able to grasp that defensive side of the ball. It's not like they're running the Osborne offense, but he's not bringing the Chip Kelly offense either. I think it's just a whiff. From the 469, I have a question for the group. Now that the season is starting and hopefully back closer to normal, what is the one activity slash restaurant slash place that you are looking forward to going to while covering an Ohio State game this season, home or away? Why not from the 469? I'll say this. Where's the Michigan game? Michigan games. Ann Arbor. In Michigan. Ann Arbor, right? So professional sports writer. <laughs> so that's always a noon game. So you go up on, it's like whatever, three or three and a half hours from Columbus. So you go up on Friday night and then you wake up Saturday morning and you cover the game and it's the Ohio State Michigan game. It means a lot. There's a lot of intensity. It's a big game. You've got to serve your readers and your listeners the best way you can. So you do a lot of writing. You do a lot of reporting. It's a great place to hang out. I've talked about this a lot after games. It is, I think it is the best road place to talk to Ohio State parents. You, there are always stories with the Ohio State parents waiting for their sons outside the locker room after the win. It's a, you can go do that. And then we do a post-game podcast. The result is that you it's a long day. It's a long, productive, fulfilling day, but it's a long day. And you have to make the drive home because Ann Arbor is not a two-night trip. And you've got to go up the night before because it's no fun to wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning and drive to Ann Arbor and then stay Saturday night. So – I have done it multiple times. Then that drive home, whatever it is, a couple exits out of Ann Arbor, whatever chain steakhouse is there. I don't know if it's Lone Star or the Australian one or Outback. Outback's the Australian Outback one, is, right? Yeah, it, I think it's Outback. I think I've eaten there. And it's like, you know what? I don't always eat steak because, again, a lot of this stuff is lost on me with the like, where are you going to eat on the road? It's like, I don't know. I'm going to eat on the road the same place I eat, I eat here. I, I don't go drop giant expense account things on the road at some fancy restaurant. And I've worked with people at Cleveland.com in the past, not Ari and Bill, someone else I'm talking about, who their favorite thing as an employee of Cleveland.com is like, I can't wait to go blow a bunch of money on a giant meal on the road and then produce mediocre work. And it's like, cool. It's great being your teammate. So that's not how I roll. So most of the time, if I'm driving through after a game and I'm driving home, I'm driving through Culver's, man. Like you said, that's a, they got the diet root beer. That's good enough for me. But after the Michigan game, I'm like, listen, man, I got a three-hour drive ahead of me. I just worked all day. I'm going to eat a chain restaurant steak at 9 o'clock at night, whatever it is when I'm getting out of that stadium. And I know that feeling of like, okay, it's kind of – it's the end of the regular season. It's been – even when it's a blowout, it's almost always an important game to cover. You usually feel like you did good work that day. And I like that feeling. And that's like always like my little treat to myself. So uh, a chain restaurant sirloin steak with a baked potato at the beginning of a drive back to Columbus after the uh, Ohio State Michigan game in Ann Arbor will be something I will look forward to this year. Nathan, what you got? Mine is, it's not even a specific place. It's just that last year, even though we were still going on the road, I can remember this vividly going to Penn State. The hotel I stayed at happened to have a Olive Garden like in the same parking lot. And then it was right next to something else. Maybe it was an Outback. Um, and so I just walked there, got my takeout, brought it back to the hotel and an ate by myself. And this year I've already got, plan like I said, I've already got plans in Minneapolis to see people, a couple people this week. Um, the night before the Michigan State game, somebody else is coming in. I'm sure I'll have people come in for the Purdue game. So wherever we go, I'll actually get to see people and like hang out with people I haven't seen now in a few years and and have that kind of experience again. It's been a while and hopefully things keep 
hopefully things go well enough to allow us to keep doing that in the months ahead. Get your, get your vax. What you got, Steven? So getting to the Nebraska game in 2019 was an adventure. Um, as I've told on this pod plenty of times. And because of that, I was not there on a Friday night when you guys went out and got runses. I want a a Friday afternoon, actually, but thanks, Nathan. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you for the, for the clarification. I want a runza because wait a second, wait a second. Wait, hold on a second though. You no longer eat red meat. I am going to sack. I want a runza. I think, hold on (laughs) a second. I respect it. But a runza is a shock to the system for even those of us who eat red meat a lot. I'm not exactly sure what a runza is going to do to you. <laughs> I know what it's going to do to me. <laughs> you guys, you guys have seen I'm Shrek, right? The, you've seen Shrek, right? Yes. Um, the first one when Lord Farquaad is like, some of you may die, but that's just a sacrifice I'm willing to make. Yeah. I may mess up my stomach, but that's just a sacrifice I am willing to take. What Do I not- want to know is, will you go to the? Will you get the second runza as Doug and I did last year? Mm. That's highly doubtful. That was a two runza stop. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely going to be. I want to just try it just so I can say I've had a runza, but I, uh, yeah, no. Don't drive okay. through runza on your way to the stadium. That is, this you is can get a- them at the stadium actually. Okay. Don't eat it at the stadium. I would <laughs> I get it, work. take out, <laughs> yeah, <no>. <laughs> go back to your hotel room and, and possibly eat it on the toilet is what might be the best <laughs> plan of action here. Just <laughs> cut right to the chase uh, and then tweet it. Uh, well, that's good. Those are three good answers. I mean, there's like little things you got to do. I also uh, do enjoy a good run. All right. We got to carry- say uh, the um, this one isn't guaranteed to happen, but if we get, uh, hopefully we get to do the open locker room at the big 10 media game. Yes. Uh, Big Ten championship, championship game. game. That's always yeah. the highlight of the beat almost for this. Just season. so we can have the draft again. And I've already started preparing my strategy. Yeah, I got Quinn uh, from the 4-4. That, four, was four my, that was my strategy. <laughs> <laughs> the beeline to the fourth string quarterback. <laughs> from the 4-4-0, what are realistic expectations for Kerry Combs as a defensive coordinator against Minnesota? Part of the problem last year was that he was a rookie. Seemed like mid-game adjustments were a big struggle. I hope to see quick adjustments to whatever wrinkle the opposing offense throws at him. Maybe not fully stop it, but at least show an attempt. I will say with this veteran Minnesota offensive line, and you can see it a little bit in the Wisconsin game in the last game of last year, Wisconsin got home with some blitzes. I'm curious to see how, how many risks he's willing to take with a little bit of that. I think we might get a little Craig Young action. As a blitzer, what we see from that, maybe a little Lathan Ransom action. As a blitzer, what we see from that, I don't know if the Minnesota offensive line is awesome, but they're old and veteran and sturdy. And as good as Ohio State's defensive line is, again, we talked about how much pressure they're going to be able to get if they're if they're getting the ball out of Tanner Morgan's hands. But if you get in a third and long, I don't know if the front four alone is enough to do it. And a lot of times when Ohio State's successful, it's because they they get like blitz like pressure without having to blitz because their defensive line is so awesome. But I I do. I, I wouldn't mind seeing a little bit of that, and I'll be curious to see what he does. Nathan, what do you think about Kerry Combs? I think some of what, again, there's only so much he can dial up. I think you're making a good point that, like, a part of what has to happen Thursday night is we need to see Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith just beat their guys and go get it. Like, there's not much that I don't think Kerry Combs can scheme up to help that happen. You've got to have guys who are in position make tackles. There's not a lot that Kerry Combs can scheme up to to make that happen. And I think we're still, we're still setting the baseline on what this defense is going to be in our minds. 
we, we, we think that there's more talent there kind of creeping up from below. We don't know how much it's going to play early and we don't know how some of those guys are going to execute. So before, until I actually see a higher level of execution, it's harder for me just an in individual play. It's harder for me to like put all of this on whatever scheme that Kerry Combs will come up with. I think I might classify it as, is it, is the talent enough to keep things simple? Cause that's what 2019 was. The defensive line was so good that Jeff Halfley didn't have to start really dialing stuff up until they got to a talent equated game. So if, if Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith and Haskell Garrett, Teron Benton and on down the line are talented enough where Kerry Combs can just be like, hey, just keep your eyes on the ball, see ball, get ball for the first couple of weeks of the season and, and get them to these talent equated games, then that's enough. Because then you can save – Halfley was able to save stuff for the Clemson game and for the, the second Wisconsin game. Can Is this team talented enough that Kerry Combs can save a lot of that creativity for when they get to Penn State and when they get to Michigan and when they get to the playoff and so on down the line? All right, that'll do it for our rapid fire. We got through a lot of them. I think almost all of them. Thanks, everybody who sent them in. I'm, I saved all the ones that we didn't get to. If we can use them later, we certainly will. We'll, we'll always do more calls for rapid fire questions. We love interacting with you guys that way. We did wanted to keep it a little quick because you got a game coming up Thursday night if you're listening to this Thursday morning. And uh, hopefully you stuck around if it was after the game and still found something that was worth listening to. Friday, Friday morning, get ready. Friday morning, it's going to be there. Post-game pod is going to be sitting in your feed. So get ready for that. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>